hello, and welcome to our podcast here at Discovery Point Church. Thank you for joining us today. We pray this message inspires you and is the beginning of a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Welcome. Great to see you today. Thank you for spending some time with us. And uh, we just encourage you uh, to take a deep breath and just to give yourself the opportunity for God to speak to you today and to give him permission to, uh, for you to experience his love and his grace and, and whatever you, you may be going through and, and you likely brought something into this room that could be heavy, it could be worrisome. He understands that and our father knows all about it. And so let's give him permission to minister to us. Let's open our hearts. Let's be in a posture of receptivity of, of what the God, what he wants to say to us today um, through his word. So I encourage you to kind of come with that posture and intention. This weekend, we're back into the Sermon on the Mount, and we've been breaking it down into small sections. And uh, I'm hoping we get through it before Christmas. <laughs> if not, it's fine. Man, what is the hurry? of getting through the most powerful message that we've ever known. We're in no hurry to get through it. We're not trying to get through it to get on to something else. We want to work through this with intention and be thorough with what Jesus says in this incredible Sermon on the Mount. This weekend, we're talking about this idea of caught in providence. Caught in providence and came up with this title. It's one of the favorite, one of the favorite shows that I enjoy watching online is caught in providence. Uh, it's caught in providence is kind of head, headed up by Judge Frank Capiro and people appear in his court uh, in providence and they've been caught, right? Something's happened. It's a speeding ticket. They've ran a stop sign and they appear before uh, the judge there, Judge Frank, and then he begins to exercise his judicial authority in various ways, oftentimes very kind, very gracious, uh, sometimes he can be stern, which is appropriate. Uh, how many of you have seen Caught in Providence? Okay, wonderful, fantastic. Yeah, it's a great, wholesome, if you're like, man, there's nothing good on TV, or it's, it's you, I go to YouTube to watch it. But, but this idea of providence has been a theme that God's just kind of, through the years of my life, just, it's just resonated with me. In fact, there was a time, and I don't know if it was when Sharon and I were finishing up our, our work in seminary, where I wanted to move to Providence, and uh, never been there, didn't know why. I'd kind of like to be there now, if you know what I mean. But, I, I, but, but we did. She's like, yeah, we're, we're not moving to Providence. I'm like, uh, okay. Then I thought, well, maybe there's another way I can, I can be reminded of, of this power of Providence in my life. And so when our, our daughter, when Sharon was pregnant with our daughter, we were coming up with names. And uh, one night in a vision from the Lord, I'm convinced, he said, why don't we name her Providence. And so I'm like, okay, that's the name. We're going to name our daughter Providence. And so I told Sharon, told her, listen to me say that word. You guys know I haven't told her anything. And I'm like, I shared it with her. Is that a better, softer way? And I shared with her, I think we should name our daughter Providence. And, and I don't think it landed very well. And, and she eventually said, no, we're not, we're not going to do that. I'm like, why? It's a, it's a wonderful name. It's God's work in our lives. And I was being all spiritual. And she said, no, because they're going to shorten that. And they're going to just start calling her Dents. And I'm like, okay, we, 
we're not going to go there. But, but providence has been a recurring theme in my life. And that's, I think, kind of the core of the passage today. A.W. Tozer says this. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. We tend, by a secret law of the soul, to move toward our mental image of God. I want you to just think about that today. What we think about God may be the most important thing about us. And so this weekend, we're asking you to interact with this, and we're asking your thoughts on what you think about God. So I'm going to invite you to take a moment if you would like to participate. And here's the question. What do you think about when you think about God? You can take your phone out, you can hit the QR code, and it's going to take you to a little area where you can give us a response. We're asking that the responses just, just be brief, right? One or two words. Um, and, and because toward the end of the message, we're going to come back and see what we actually think about God. Now, along these lines, I'm, not, I'm going to be very uh, respectful here. We really want to know the raw truth. I, nobody knows. It's all anonymous what you're going to say if you choose to participate. But it's, it's okay not to provide a Sunday school answer. That's what I'm saying. It's okay to be ultimately truthful with what you think about when you think about God. Again, it's anonymous. We're not, we don't know who's sending what. And at the, toward the end of the message, we're gonna come back and revisit that question. Throughout the message, you'll see the QR code on a few other slides. It's the same code. If you, if you wanna think about it a moment, you can access it in some other, uh, other slides as we move through the message. But it, it, it is uh, a sobering thought. What do we think about when we think about God? The conversation of God is such uh, an ongoing conversation in most of our lives that we may have not given it a lot of thought. What do we think about when we think about God? If you think about spiritual worldviews, there are many spiritual worldviews out there. Of course, you have the atheistic view, which says, hey, there is no God. We don't even have to think about it because there is no God, which lends me to believe that they did have to think about it for a moment. Then you have the deistic view. The deist says, well, yeah, of course there's a God. He kind of got the whole thing started a long time ago, and he just let us go. And we're just kind of on our own out here uh, in the world. He, he's not active in our lives. We can't know him. There's no personal interaction, the deist would generally say. And then you have the theist. Uh, the theist, uh, of course, each, each view has various uh, subviews under it. So I'm painting a very broad picture here. But, but the theist says, yeah, hey, there's a God. And by the way, we can know that God. And, and that God is active and can be personal in our lives. And, and so I, I would say, maybe even within our room this morning, that there could, be, there could be people that would fall under each of these categories and maybe subcategories. Maybe you're here and you're like, man, I'm, I'm just here. And we're glad you're here. If you're like, I don't even believe in God. Man, we are so glad you're here. We're, we're delighted that you're here. If you're like, Pastor, I, I think I believe in, in a God or some type of spiritual force out there, but man, this God, he, is, he has no interaction with us. I can't know him. I can't possibly know him. If that's where you are today, you're in a safe space. And others of us may fall into the camp of theism where we believe that what the scripture teaches about this God, that he is active in our lives. He is moving in the world and we can know him and he brings about his work and his will in our lives. As we re-engage this Sermon on the Mount, I, I want to talk about the importance of what we're talking about today and, and the idea of context. It's so important to contextually understand the scriptures within 
the context, okay? Someone said that a text without a context is a pretext. In other words, a text without a context, you can make a text say anything you want it to say. But today, we certainly want to approach the scriptures, and every day that we share and we engage God's word, we want to do that in light of context. We want to understand there's a broad umbrella called the Sermon on the Mount that is addressed to kingdom citizens. So what Jesus says in a small section of scripture is to be seen in light of the other sections of scriptures that surround that set of scriptures. So today's message, we cannot leave thinking, well, hey, hey, man, God's just, he's a celestial slot machine. I ask, he produces. I pull the lever, voila. We can't think about the passage that way. We can't think about the passage that I can name it and claim it, right? It's kind of a movement. I name it and I claim it, okay? God does provide his promises, but it all happens within context. So keep that in mind as we examine today's passage found in Matthew chapter seven. We'll be in verses seven through 12. I invite you to, if you have your Bible, to turn there with me, or if you're using electronic advice, device, that would be good too. But we're gonna engage kind of three characteristics of kingdom citizens, which some of us, many of us, hopefully all of us claim to be those kingdom citizens. And, and from God's word, we, we wanna see what kingdom citizens that Jesus calls us to. And, and we see verse seven and eight that Jesus calls kingdom citizens to proactively pray, to proactively pray. Say that with me, proactively pray. Now, some of you didn't participate. That wasn't very proactive. Let's try that again. Proactively pray pray, right? So, and so to do this, I'm going to read from the Amplified Bible. I generally read out of the ESV, but I want to see the Amplified because it gives us a little bit more of a, of a thrust. It gives us a little bit more of the meat of the passage according to the, the Greek text. So the Amplified says this, ask and keep on asking and it will be given to you. Seek and keep on seeking. You will find it. Knock and keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who keeps on asking receives, he who keeps on seeking finds, and to him who keeps on knocking, it will be open. I think that's the true interpretation of the passage. Jesus is speaking in imperatives. He has three present imperatives in the passage. Ask, seek, knock. The present imperative, of course, is the, the mood of command. It's a command. He's not suggesting it. He's not recommending it. He is commanding us as kingdom citizens to keep on. Notice the repetitive nature as the Amplified translates it, which is an accurate translation. In, in, in that imperative mood, it is to keep on, present imperative, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Now the word ask here, it carries with it a sense of urgency, of urgency, not flippant, but urgency. The word seek here is investigation, exploration, and then the word knock here means is with repetitive intensity, repetitive intensity, right? So think about those three words, ask, seek, knock, as a command from Jesus to kingdom citizens in our relationship to the heavenly father. Spurgeon says this, Spurgeon says that we are to follow up our prayer by effort and force to our petitions and to our prayers, adding force to what we pray using our faith, proactive pray. So for example, if you're in the room and you're like, pastor, what I'm praying about right now is better health, right? Health is so important, is it not? Oh my goodness, what a, health is so important and we don't recognize how important it is until we don't feel good or something's going on in our lives. And you're like, I'm praying for better health. Do it, man, do it. But I just would warn you to pray that those flaming hot Cheetos will be turned into a kale salad. It's probably not gonna work. I mean, you can give it a shot. And if it does, let me know. 
Or, or to stop by and grab a Krispy Kreme donut and you feel bad about it and you're like, I'm gonna pray over this. Lord, will you turn this into a beautiful avocado? <laughs> right, I mean, you understand it. It's absurd what I'm saying, but, but you get the point. But this is what we do. We, we just pray about things and prayer is powerful. It, it moves the hand and the heart of God. But I think there's some times that we need to be proactively praying. In other words, we need to be adding our faith to what we are praying. One of the phrases that we often say is, I'm waiting on God, and rightfully so, right time, place, and context. But sometimes God might be waiting on us. He's waiting on us to activate our faith in those things we are praying about. So for example, if we're like, hey, I want my, my marriage to be healthier. I want to improve my marriage relationship. Pray about it, absolutely. Then, then take some intentional, practical action of thinking about ways to improve that relationship, right? Or you're like, man, I'm looking for a job. I need a job. I need a different job. I, gotta, I need a job. I'm praying about the job. Lord, bring me a job. Okay, pray about it. Then fill out an application, right? Or you heard the story about the guy who lived by the river, a nice big two-story house. The flood came, the river's rising. He began to pray, oh, Lord, save me. Save me from this. A gentleman came by in a Jeep, says, hey, man, get in. Let's go. He's like, no, no, no. God's got this. I'm gonna pray about it. He kept praying. The river began rising. He moves up to the second story of the house and a guy comes by in a boat, says, hey man, let's go. Get in. This thing's rising. I'm here to help. I'm here to save you. Oh, I'm praying about this. God's got this. He finally gets to the top. The river rises He's on the very tip top of his house and a helicopter shows up, drops a cord, says, man, grab the cord. It's like, oh, God's got me, man. I'm just praying about this. Unfortunately, the man drowned, gets to heaven, stands before God, and he's like, okay, God, I prayed about this. And God's like, all right, pal, I sent a Jeep, a boat, and a helicopter. <laughs> what were you thinking, right? This is what we do when we pray. It's okay to pray, but proactive praying, asking, seeking, knocking. I mean, that, that, that has some intensity to our prayer life, is that we pray, and then we add obedient faith to it. So Jesus begins there in the section on, on how to interact with the Heavenly Father in prayer. And then he gives us another area and, and another characteristic of kingdom citizens. We see that in verses 9 through 11, where kingdom citizens, they trust in the Father's providential care. They trust in the Father's providential care. Uh, read with me, beginning in verse 9, we'll read through verse 12, where Jesus goes on to say, okay, or, or which of you, if he has a son, ask him for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, you're gonna give him a serpent? Verse 11, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So here we have this idea of, of providential care and, and, and kingdom citizens. We have the honor, we have the opportunity to believe in God's providential care for our lives. This is so, I think this is the core of the passage. I think this is the anchor point that Jesus wants us to realize is that we have a father that we can trust and we are actually caught in his providential care. Now, Jesus begins this portion of scripture with some absurd analogies, does he not? He's like, hey, how many of you whose little Johnny comes to you and you're at the Texas Roadhouse and little Johnny says, hey, mom or dad, can I have one of those rolls with some of that heavenly butter? And that stuff is straight from heaven, amen? Straight from heaven. You put, you, he says, can I get a roll with a little bit of that heavenly butter? And you're like, absolutely not. Here's a rock though. Like what? It's, it's a crazy, absurd analogy. Or little Johnny says, I think I'll have the fish. And the dad pulls out a 
a snake and said, no fish for you, son. Here, dig into this. Like, that's ridiculous. It's absurd. But Jesus is using the intensity of the absurdity to, to make a point, is he not? He, he's contrasting something here. He wants us to say, well, that's ridiculous. That's what he wants us to say. That's ridiculous. And it is. Even those of us who aren't stellar parents would never do that. We would never, our child comes and asks for something, a necessity of, of a piece of bread. We would never give them a stone. Even, even the least stellar parent among us would dare not do that. But that's the point of the passage. That's the absurdity that Jesus is trying to make here. Then he goes on to verse 11, and this is where it gets interesting. Notice how he begins verse 11. Notice what he says. If you then who are evil, they're like, okay, I guess he's ramping up the, the, this message here. If you then who are evil, if we take that in our context, we would say, okay, those of us who still are involved in the process of sanctification and we still understand Romans 7 very well, the struggle of, 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 of who we are and what we're becoming and, 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 and this process of sanctification of becoming more like him, but understanding as we become more like Christ, we still have a ways to go, amen? We're still growing in that. Even, even those who are morally corrupt, Jesus calls them evil, even evil, morally corrupt parents who are still growing in Christ's likeness. Even we know how to give a good gift to our child. And we don't even have it all together, right? Even those of us who are, who are shortcoming in so many ways, he's like, the point is, those of us who, who are struggling with life and we're not all we ought to be in Christ, even those of us, we have the capacity, we know what's best for our children. And then he wants to contrast and says, okay, think about your life and all your struggle, your challenges, maybe as a parent, using an example here. Then he wants us to turn our attention to the heavenly father, the perfect heavenly father. In other words, you know how to give a good gift. Imagine what God wants to give to you. A perfect father contrasted with an imperfect parent and the power and the beauty of the father who is offering providential care to his children and giving things to us that are beneficial for us. It's a powerful idea. Now we see this idea of providence going all the way back to Genesis chapter 22. There, Abraham and Isaac, you might know the story. There, Abraham calls God Jehovah Jireh the God who provides, Jehovah Jireh. In fact, there was a gentleman hit me up between services. He broke out his iPhone, took me to iTunes. He's like, you gotta listen to the song by Elevation Worship, Jireh. I'm like, I know the song, brother, uh, but it is a powerful song. It's about God provides, God always provides. Abraham's like, God's gonna provide. He's Jehovah Jireh. And, and we are under his providential care. It's a powerful, comforting idea that we come underneath his providential care. James 1.17 says, says this, that every good, say that with me, every good. The Greek word agathos means something beneficial, something helpful. When we see and hear gift in the context here, we're thinking about gifts that bring value, right? It's not just a gift. And it's nice to get a gift as appreciation or to show an expression of love, but the, but, but the word carries with the idea of beneficial, of value, of adding something useful to a person's life. Every, we think about John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave, right? Ephesians 2, that for by grace are we saved through faith. It is the gift 
of God. So those are types of gifts that God gives to us. James says that every good, beneficial gift and every perfect gift, the Greek word teleos, complete, mature, lacking nothing. In other words, God don't give us gifts and two years later we run them down uh, and hand them off at the Goodwill store. Well, they're wore out. That's not the kind of gifts he gives. They're complete, they're full, they're mature, they're beneficial to us. These gifts come from above, down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. Jesus is wanting us to see the providential care of God's generosity in our lives. Oswald Chambers says this, Jesus urges us to keep our minds filled with the concept of God's, his control over everything, which means that a disciple must maintain an attitude of perfect trust and an eagerness to ask and to seek. Fill your mind with the thought that God is there. Fill your mind with the thought that God is there. Fill your mind with the thought that God is there. And once your mind is truly filled with that thought, when you experience difficulties, it will be as easy as breathing for you to remember, my heavenly father knows all about this. He knows all about it. Everything you carried into this room today, the thing that kept you up last night, the thing right now that has you worried this week, the financial thing, the health thing, the relational thing. Everything that's bringing you turmoil and everything that's causing you worry and everything that's eating at you today. Your father knows all about it. He knows all about it. And I want you to understand that today as you think about, does the father know about, he knows all about it. There's an old song we used to sing that we'll understand it better by and by but he knows about it right now. He's well aware of it. He understands it. He may even be hurting with you and, and, and connecting with you in that. Folks, that's a part of his providential care. Kingdom citizens understand that I come under, I can trust in the Father's providential care. Jesus then makes a turn here in verse 12 and he moves towards human relationships. I wish he would have just stopped at verse 11. We probably just should stop it there, right? Prayer, trusting the Father's care for us. But notice this passage, known as the golden rule. You're well aware of the passage. Notice what Jesus says in verse 12. He says, so uh, whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and this is the prophets. Yeah, simple principle. Simple principle, right? Wait for others to treat you right, and then you treat them right. Is that what he says? I wish it was. I'd love to retranslate that, right? No, no, no. You want to be treated well? Treat others well. You want, you want, to, you want people to be kind and loving and forgiving and caring in your life? Do that to them. And, and some of us have done that in people's lives, and it, it didn't work out well. Understand, use some prayerful discernment with that. Use some prayerful discernment of how to progress with people who maybe aren't treating you well. But what I find in my own life is that some things that I will expect out of you, I don't even expect out of me. So I want you to think about this golden rule, right? Treating others, treating others in a way that you want to be treated. Not waiting, not hanging around. Once they treat me right, then brother, I'll give them the grace. No. Treat others the way Jesus treated people. Interact with others the way that Jesus interacted with other people. 
Oswald Chambers says this, the measure of our growth in grace is reflected in our attitudes toward other people. Stop it. I thought it was reflected in how much scripture I knew, how many Bible studies I attended, how well I served, what I gave. What if it's actually connected to human relationships? My growth in grace is connected to the lives around me and the spiritual value I add or don't add to the lives around me. What do you think about when you think about God? What do you think about? Hey, let's go back and take a look at our survey. So here's, here's how we responded. 34, is that just this service, Zach? 34 people, 34 of you responded with the survey. We'll just go through these pretty quickly. His vastness, holy, merciful, good, forgiving, peace, justice, gracious, love and refuge, peace, loving Father, unconditional love, incredible grace, powerful, full of grace, a loving yet stern Father who wants the best for us. Look at this. He puts us through all the trials for a purpose while never leaving our side. Grace and love, indifferent and stoic. The Father I never had, always wanted. Sovereignty, protector, healer, love, grace, mercy. Father, creator, mighty. Sovereignty, his love, his power and grace. His grace upon grace, his glory. Accepting and loving, knowing, sovereign, one in charge, savior. A God who has no judgment, loves even when we do not. Almighty forgiveness, love, safety, security. My Lord, my Savior, grace that has been justified through my Father, the atonement for my sins, allowing me to be active in his kingdom, the ultimate decision maker, forgiving, sovereignty. God is angry with the wicked, unbelievers every day. Present Father, perfect love. What can I do to be a better as a man, father, but husband? I often think of failing, shortcomings, and I just need to feel to ask for his aid. I think about how he's unyielding in his judgment, but also mercy, righteous in both of these, powerful, loving, wonderful, faithful, free, forgiving creator of the universe, comforter, my strength, prince of peace, king of kings, lord of lords, redeemer, savior, father, friend, merciful, full of grace, humble, omnipotent, divine guidance. That's what you guys, that's what we think of God. Thank you for sharing your thoughts, interacting with that. I think there's value in understanding what I think about God. Maybe the most important thing in my life, especially in the context that we looked at today, right? Hey, if I think God is some distant, disengaged, disinterested deity, deism, I'm likely not gonna pray to that God. Would you agree? If I think my thought, if that's what I think of my heavenly father, I'm not gonna pray to that God. But if I think, if I think that God is close, he's caring, he's loving, he's interested in my life as the scripture teaches, then, then I don't have a hesitation of asking, seeking and knocking, of engaging, engaging with this loving father. What we think about God may be the most important thing in our lives. I wanna read a story to you here as we wrap things up. You got a minute? Story goes that a man's daughter had asked her pastor to come to their house and pray with her father. When the pastor arrived, he found the man lying in bed and his head was propped up on a couple pillows and beside his bed, there was an empty chair. 
The pastor had assumed that the old fella had been informed of his visit. And the pastor said, well, I guess you were expecting me. The old gentleman said, no, who are you? Well, the pastor said, well, I'm the new associate pastor at your daughter's church down the street. And when I saw the empty chair, I just assumed that you knew I was coming by. Oh, the gentleman replied, oh yeah, the, the empty chair. Would you mind closing the door, please? And the puzzled the pastor, he shut the door. And the gentleman said, I've never told anyone about this, not even my daughter. But all of my life, I've never known how to pray. He said, sometimes when I would attend church, I would hear the pastor talk about prayer and preach about prayer, but quite honestly, it just went right over my head. He goes on to say, I, I, I abandon any attempt at prayer. Until one day, about four years ago, my best friend said to me, hey, Joe, prayer is a simple matter of having a conversation with Jesus. Here's what I suggest. Sit down on a chair, place an empty chair in front of you, and in faith, see Jesus seated in that chair. The gentleman said, Jesus promised to us he'll never leave us or forsake us. He is with us. So I want you to speak to Jesus as you and I are having a conversation. You can chat a little bit and you can listen some. But just have a conversation with him as he sits in that chair. The old man said, man, I, I gave it a shot. And he said, it became a very meaningful time of prayer. In fact, he said, I, I, it was so meaningful that there were days I would spend a couple hours, me seated in this chair and just visioning by faith, Jesus seated in that chair and he and I having a conversation. He says, I'm careful though, if my daughter saw me talking to an empty chair, she might have a nervous breakdown or send me off to the funny farm. The pastor was encouraged by this and he was moved and by the story of Joe. And so what he does, he, he prays for Joe and he returns back to the church office. Never forgetting about the empty chair next to Joe's bed. A few days later, the daughter called the pastor to tell him that her father had passed away that evening. The pastor said, do you think he died in peace? She says, I, I, I think he did. I, I, I think he died in peace. She said, that afternoon, I went by his room to tell him by I had some errands to run. And so he told me one of his corny dad jokes, kissed me on the cheek. And I said, okay, dad, I'll see you here in a few hours. When I came back home, I walked into his room. I discovered my father had passed. But she told the pastor there was, there was something strange, something beyond strange. She said, there's actually something kind of weird. It, she said, apparently just before my father died, he leaned over and he rested his head on that empty chair beside his bed. I want you to think about where you rest your head, your life, understanding that the father knows all about it. He already knows all about it the tension, the struggle, the turmoil, he knows about it. Isn't that comforting? He already knows all about it. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today. 
We pray you allow this message to transform you to take what you learned and share the love of Jesus to those around you. You can stay informed and connected by following Discovery Point Church on all social media platforms. Thank you and God bless you.